When we lived in Dallas, I had a friend out there that I met named John Hanna. John is a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, John um, was a great guy to talk to. He's a great mentor. He loves the Lord, loves the Word. He's taught at Dallas for many, many years. And John said this. He said, churches don't all of a sudden decide to buy into error or biblical inerrancy. They don't hear a new idea from the world and decide the Bible isn't true about this or that particular issue. They lose their passion first. After you lose your passion for God, your knowledge of the Bible is just academic. It's just information, he says. The virgin birth, the deity of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, uh, hell, the teachings of Jesus are all just intellectual points. People don't die for intellectual points. We don't die for doctrine. We die because of our loyalty to God who called us to protect and to pass on that doctrine. The Bible isn't just about information, head knowledge. It is about our hearts. God is always shaping our hearts. And a few weeks ago, a guy that I deeply respect and have been ministered to for years, a guy named Alistair Begg, made some statements that many in the evangelical community, me included, felt like were not biblical. They weren't good representations of God's Word. They weren't good to put out there, especially a leader of his uh, influence. He was called to task by several evangelical leaders. He refused to recant. He refused to repent. He's doubled down, tripled down, and even preached a message on compassion to try to justify his position. And I was very hard on him I, on the radio and even just, I'm saying this is wrong. Well, God said, what about you? And um, over the past seven years, my wife and I have watched, we've shared, and we've promoted the Chosen series. When the series first came out, we were real excited because it, it was portraying a Jewish context to Scripture. It was building in backstory of time period history and things going on. And um, we were excited about them showing the humanity of the characters, the disciples, and even the humanity side of Jesus, which we don't always consider. I've had the writer, director, Dallas Jenkins, on the radio program several times to answer questions about the series and was willing to overlook what I believe were oversights and incorrect storylines due to his, his basically confession, this isn't scripture, it's just a television show. But after views, viewing season four episodes... And, and reflecting over many of the uh, questions that have kind of been bothering me and, and questions surrounding the cast, the writing, even Dallas Jenkins himself, interviews he's had, God has convicted me and my wife that we've been promoting error. And we need to repent of that. We, we have repented of that with God. And now I'm publicly repenting before you. I'm so sorry for not being more discerning as a teacher, as a leader. And I want to publicly express my sadness and, and repent over misleading anyone into error. I don't want anybody to go against God's word. His word is, it's, it is so precious to me that I would not do anything intentionally, but I don't want to do anything even if it's unintentional. And so I repent of affirming that program. I repent. It, it, I can't affirm it anymore. Going forward, His Light Ministries, SWAT Bible Studies, and SWAT Radio can no longer affirm the Chosen series. 
And we join other ministries and calling for Dallas Jenkins and other believers who are involved with that program to repent of partnering with false teachers, of leading others into idolatry, and diminishing the sufficiency of Scripture. In an interview a few years ago, Dallas Jenkins was being interviewed on a Mormon podcast. And and he said this. Well, actually, I'm going to let you hear it. And the reason is, I was going to say it. But he came out and he walked it back with several podcasts. And he walked it back. Brad, can you open that? He walked it back saying he didn't say it. He said, I did not say we worship the same Jesus. I was trying to be nuanced. That's a key word for a lot of people in our culture today. You know what nuance means? It means not clearly defined. I want you to hear in his own words what he said. I I can honestly say it's been one of the top three most fascinating and beautiful things about this project has been my growing brother and sisterhood with people of the LDS community that I never would have known otherwise. Learning LDS community is Latter-day Saints. It's the Mormon church. Learning so much about um, about your your faith tradition um, and realizing, gosh, for all the stuff that maybe we don't see eye to eye on, that all happened that's all based on stuff that happened after Jesus was here. Um, the stories of Jesus we do agree on, and we we love the same Jesus. Um, that's not something that you often hear. Sometimes it's like, oh, you uh, they believe in a different Jesus than we do. Yeah, no, it's the same. I mean, I'll 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 sink or swim on that statement, and I and it's controversial, and I um, I don't mind getting criticized at all for the show and I don't mind being called a blasphemer I don't like it when my friends are and um, I made it very clear that um, if I go down if I go down I'm going down swinging protecting my friends and my, my brothers and sisters just to reiterate what he just said I'm going down swinging protecting my friends and my brothers and sisters. He's talking about LDS, Mormon people. He's calling brothers and sisters. Second John 10. Second John verse 10 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of the gospel of Jesus, do not receive him into your house. Or give him a greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Dallas does not believe they worship a different Jesus. If you're not familiar with Mormon theology, they don't believe the Bible you and I read is a good Bible. This is a corrupted Bible to them. The only Bible that they accept is Joseph Smith's version of the Bible. They believe that Jesus and Satan were brothers. They believe we get our own planet one day. If you're good enough, they believe the only way to be good enough is your work, not what Jesus did on the cross. Mormons are not a denomination within Christian Orthodox belief. They are a cult. They are a false teaching cult. They teach a different gospel. And Paul said, if anybody preaches a different gospel, let them be accursed. He said it twice in Galatians 1. Also, Dallas has used the word plausible a lot in his explanation of the series, The Chosen. Plausible. No, we don't think Jesus said this, but it's plausible. Versus scriptural. And what we saw in season four, plausible has replaced scriptural. Also, Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus, uh, the character of Jesus in the series, 
is using the popularity of this platform or his platform that comes from his popularity on the series to teach a false gospel. In one interview, he shared his testimony and he quoted scripture from the Sermon on the Mount And as he was speaking to this group of people, he went from his normal voice and he started using the voice he uses on the chosen as if to get more effect out of it by using his Jesus voice. He doesn't have a Jesus voice. There's only one Jesus. and, And that leads to idolatry. At one event, a lady ran up to him fell at his feet and was weeping, saying, Jesus, Jesus, grabbing a hold of him because her son had died a couple of days earlier. And Jonathan, in recounting the story, uh, said that he wasn't sure what to do, so he just hugged her, comforted her, and it felt so hum. I was so humbled to, to, to comfort her in that moment when she's calling him Jesus at a public event. Dallas said people are growing closer to Jesus from the chosen. No. You you, you don't grow closer to God through, can God use things to point you to His Word? Yes. But if it's not His Word, then it's from man. Plausible is not from God. That's human. Scripture is from God. And God has chosen to reveal Himself and all He wants you and I to know about Himself through His Word. Anything beyond that is adding to Scripture. And I'm so sorry. We tend to gravitate toward less demanding disciplines, i.e. we like watching videos, we like listening to podcasts, rather than reading and studying God's Word. So God has called us as His people to be discerning. However, in our country, we've become so shallow. We've become biblically ignorant. And that's why people who see the chosen, they don't know, they don't look at it with discerning eyes. You've got people arguing on the internet, on social media, And they're quoting Jonathan Rumi's character in The Chosen, not the Bible, for a biblical argument. Jesus didn't say get used to different. That's what Dallas Jenkins wrote for him. Is it plausible? That's what Dallas Jenkins says. Did he say it? No. But people are quoting that authoritatively From the mouth of Jesus. They're defending people's healings, talking about little James who in the the series has cerebral palsy. He, He really does have cerebral palsy, the actor who plays him. But people are using those things to argue with other people about Scripture. That's babble. That's empty talk. There's been no fidelity when it comes to God's Word. You see all these shirts up here? All this, this stuff, this painting right here, these books. I bought that. I ordered that. I supported that. And I repent. I won't do it again. I can't do it going forward. There was a guy named Linsky who was a commentator who wrote this. The worst form of wickedness is the perversion of the truth. Any perversion of God's word is evil. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this in verse 19. Don't quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, God's word, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, when he was writing the Corinthian church, says... Verse, uh, chapter 11, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and a pure devotion to Christ. 
If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus other than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. In other words, he's saying you allow this to go on. And Paul said in Galatians 1, a different Jesus, let him be accursed. And today, in our culture, many believers look on these perversions and they're just indifferent. They don't see them as that bad. We must discern good from evil and we have to warn other people. Why is there such indifference toward this in our culture? Well, and it's the same reason biblical truth has become so marginalized in our culture. We prefer pragmatism over doctrinal conviction. It works. In fact, people say this. My friend Vody Bauckham says, I'll, somebody came up to him because he rebuked them for stuff like this. And they said, well, listen, I'll take my way of reaching people over your way of not reaching them. That's what they said to him. This guy who's faithfully preached the gospel. Whose job is it to reach people? Is it my job or is it the Holy Spirit's job? We're instruments. You can't make anybody yield to the Spirit. Only the Spirit energizes them to do that. The second thing is we prefer nuance, just like Dallas said, and not clearly defined over absolute truth. I remember a friend one time asked, hey, what, what does the Bible say about divorce? And so I told him, this is what it says. Took him to the passage, showed him. I don't think that's what it means. I'm like, well, what are you basing that on? Well, I don't think God wants me to be unhappy the rest of my life. Had nothing to do with the language, nothing to do with what's said in the text. It had to do on his feelings. Third, we prefer influence and acceptance over being marginalized and rejected. We don't like being rejected as people. We, we want to be accepted by people. We want to have influence. And so we cave. We prefer harmony with people over the pro faithful proclamation of God's truth. 2 Timothy 3 says, All Scripture is profitable for correction, for instruction, reproof. All Scripture. John MacArthur says, The church has lost her will to disturb the world, to upset the sinner. We don't want to do it. We'll be marginalized. We'll be canceled. Number five, we prefer personal opinion of Scripture over proper interpretation of Scripture. How many times have you been to a Bible study? Well, what does it mean to you, Jimmy? Well, what does it mean to you, Amos? It doesn't matter what it means to Jimmy or Amos. What matters is what God intended when He wrote it. Our opinion doesn't matter. What matters is what God intended to communicate. We also prefer charismatic, popular Tony Robbins-type leaders over called and gifted men. It doesn't matter the pitch of the voice. doesn't matter how humorous a guy is. If he's teaching correctly the Word of God, then the power is in the Word. It's not in the guy. And last, we prefer indifference to sin over confronting sin. You know, before we moved to Jacksonville, Lori and I had never seen church discipline. We didn't know they did that. But when we moved to CFC, we moved here and went to CFC. It's the first time we ever saw it. And we're like, wow, they take this stuff serious. This is real. They're, they're kicking these people out of the church. But that's what it says. You go to the person. If they're in sin and, and they repent, good, it's over. If they don't, you go get a brother and come back and you do it again. If they still don't repent, you tell it to the church. And if still they don't repent, you put them out of the church so they're out of the fellowship. So they experience what it's like to be out of the fellowship of the body. That's Matthew 18. False teaching is the most dangerous sin in the church today. 
We have to confront it, and many churches don't. So, that being said, I, I'm going to ask our guys, we always start prayer. We're going to look at 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 through 19, and we're going to look at three things that this text kind of brings out, that God calls us, if we want to be discerning, first of all, to be faithful servants. You know who a servant serves? The master, not themselves. So we have to be faithful servants. Second, we have to be diligent stewards. That means we have to be committed, working toward taking care of what he's given us. And third, we've got to be alert sentries. We've got to be on guard. And so we're going to look at each one of these after we pray and look at this text in 2 Timothy. So if you would, at the end of the prayer, we affirm the Shema. And I would ask that you join us with us. Guys, we'll go ahead and pray. Oh, great God. You are the one true God. There's none like you. And Lord, my heart is so convicted as your servant. And I'm so grateful for your mercy. You are a merciful God, and I thank you for your mercy. You are good and gracious. You are the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You are the God of Peter and Paul, the God of my fathers. And I I thank you, Lord, that you have revealed your truth to us. Please forgive us for not guarding it better. Forgive me, Lord, for, for not being more diligent to protect the flock to protect those that you have allowed me to be able to influence. And I'm so grateful for Jesus and the cross. I'm grateful, Lord, that you've paid for everything and your forgiveness is waiting. And you tell us to confess. And so in that light, Lord, I confess publicly to these my brothers and sisters that I was in error, that I wasn't diligent, that I, I didn't take it as serious as I should. And I am sorry for, for that. And I commit myself again. I surrender myself, Lord, to you as my master, my leader. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep me from straying that you would keep me on the ancient path and that your word would be what I preach and what I promote. And I I would just be more discerning that way. And I pray that for each one of us, Lord, that we would be discerning. And I pray that even now as we look at this text, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to obey uh, what you reveal to us about ourselves so that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. And that, Lord, when we meet you, we will have no regret. You are continuing to move us toward that day we will be in your presence. And I pray that you would find us faithful, men and women of the word. So thank you. We love you. And uh, Lord, we just want to affirm our love for you today. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God. And you shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart. With all your heart. All your soul. All your soul. And all your strength. And all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor. And you shall love your neighbor. As yourself. As yourself. Amen. In 2 Timothy 2, if you have your Bibles, turn there to verse 14. Discerning living 
in a deceptive world? What does it mean to guard the good deposit? Well, Paul wrote this letter to his young protege, Timothy, and he wrote it to give him instruction on how to lead the church, how to guard the church from false teaching and what to do when it comes in. And in, in the We've got to remember, when Timothy received it, it didn't have chapter and verse. It was just one letter. So Timothy would have read it from beginning to end. And so we take bits and pieces, and we're intercepting it here in verse 14 to 19 because he's dealing with two false teachers in the church, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And, and so he's dealing with this issue of being discerning. And so... We're going we're gonna to go in there at the beginning of chapter 2, right before he gets to this section. He tells Timothy, Timothy, the things you've heard from me proclaim in the presence of faithful men. Find faithful men who will teach others and then teach others. And it's a call to discipleship. And that's what he's, he's kind of, he's, he's in that mode right now of instructing Timothy on what he should be prioritizing. And as he talks about the discipleship, he knows it's going to be hard. He said, you got to be like a soldier. you got to be like a farmer. You know, like an athlete. It's tough work. And then he goes into the motivation. And he says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember the gospel. That's your motivation for it in verses 8 through 13. And then he hits verse 14. And in verse 14... He starts off, he says, remind them. He says, remind them of these things. And these things are what I just told you about. Make disciples, that it's the gospel that motivates. That's the motivation for us. And so as we read that, kind of keep that in mind. We're going to read 14 through 19 and come back and look at each one of these ideas of being a faithful servant, being a diligent steward, and being an alert sentry. Verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. These are the words of God. Remind them, Timothy. Remind them to make disciples. Remind them that the reason they make disciples is because of Jesus dying for you. And he's given you that mission to be an ambassador, just like everybody in this room, not just me, not just your pastor or preacher, everybody who is a believer is called to be an ambassador of Christ. We are brought in to be deployed out. And so he's, he says, remind them of these things. And then he says, charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Shut down error. You know how quarreling happens over words? These war of words happen? Because people are trying to change what the Bible says. Within the church. He's talking within the church here. Within Christian groups. It happens all over the country. You got people trying to change what God's word says. I don't think it means that. I think it means this. Not based on anything other than their feelings. Not based on study. Not based on what great godly men through times past have passed down. But based on their opinion. Shut down the error. That's what he's saying. Don't engage in verbal fights over established doctrine. God's word has spoken to all that we need for life and godliness. 
Our opinion doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is what does his word say? It's not what this means to you, like I said. It's what does God's word say? And a lot of church leaders throughout the country and even ministry leaders refuse to take a a stand. Listen, church is not a free speech zone. It's not. It's not Mars Hill. It's not Harvard. And, And many times at Bible studies, people end up debating issues that God has clearly spoken on. But yeah, but don't you think He really means this? Because times have changed. Have you ever heard that? The reason people try to change it, they don't like what God's Word says. And they try to soften the meaning. They try to dismiss certain passages of the Bible as not being relevant altogether. Uh, Especially in the area of homosexuality in our culture now. And now we're getting into polyamorous relationships. I don't even know if you know what that is. I didn't know what that means. I know poly means many. But what it means is you're married to somebody, but you can be having sexual relationships with a lot of people. And now they're doing a reality TV show where they've got four married couples and they're trying out this polyamorous thing on live reality TV to see how it works. I don't think it's going to work out very well. I just don't. But all truth is now subjective in our culture. You know, we used to look at data, behavior, and facts, and we could say this is right and this is wrong. It was clear, clearly defined. But that's no longer true. Now, if you hold the biblical truth, you're labeled a bigot, you're intolerant, you're arrogant, you're not compassionate. And you know what this does? Paul says it ruins the hearers. That word ruin, you know what it means? The Greek word is catastrophe. That word literally means to turn upside down. People argue and deny creation. They argue and deny hell. These are all within churches. They argue and deny the virgin birth. Do you know one survey was done among like 14,000 pastors? 33% didn't believe in the virgin birth. People argue against holiness after salvation. That's just legalism. You don't need it. People argue on behalf of legalism. You know what legalism is, right? You know, we don't dance, we don't chew, and we don't date girls that do. You know, that kind of, or dance with girls that do, whatever. It's that kind of a thing. Basically taking my conviction that alcohol may be wrong for me personally and saying, Amos, you drink that beer, you're going straight to hell. That's what legalism is. And people do that. And so these arguments develop and it ruins, it turns upside down the body. It's okay to have conversations about things that are, uh, and even debates about things in a Bible that aren't clearly defined and repeated where you see in other, you know, different areas. Those things are settled truth. The things that aren't, we can talk about eschatology, the, the rapture, those kind of things. The, the, those things aren't clearly defined. Some things are. Those things are settled. So we have to be faithful servants to our master in this regard. And that's what he's telling Timothy. Shut it down. Shut it down, Timothy. Don't let it get going. Well, in verse 15, he says, be do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Do your best, Timothy. Be diligent. Be diligent. What are you diligent about? Think about your life. He says, do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker. Make an effort. Work hard. We work hard at a lot of things. Why is it we don't work as hard at studying the Bible or knowing God's word? Because we work hard at a lot of things. We're diligent about a lot of things. We should be diligent. This, is this important? We all believe it. There's, I don't think there's a person in here who's not said it isn't. But we should be diligent to know what it says. And not just go on a Sunday morning and let some guy spoon feed us and go, okay, that was good. All right, I'm going home. That's my feeding for the week. 
He says, do your best, Timothy. And then he says, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You know what it literally means in the Greek is cut straight. Some of you guys were at the uh, retreat or the one day training we do in the summer a few years ago when H.B. Charles came and spoke. He's a pastor here in town. He does a conference every year called Cutting It Straight. It's the Cutting It Straight conference, which means rightly handling God's word. That's what that means, to cut it straight. As best you can, as God's representatives, we have to proclaim what God says, not what we want it to say. That's why you don't take a, pre, a preposition or a prepropositional truth to the Bible to try to justify it. You go in the Bible where it speaks to that issue and you exposit that issue. What does it say? Okay, here's the context. But got pastors all over the country and church uh, ministry leaders who will take, their, I think I'm going to preach on tithing today. And they go to the Bible and they make the Bible fit what they want to say. It happens all the time in Bible studies. No, you go to the Bible and you explain what it says as best you can the way God intended it to say what it says. And what's the one central truth of, of Scripture? We're sinful. We need a Savior. God sent Jesus who became that Savior, that Redeemer, that Messiah for us, who came and uh, God is good and merciful because he didn't have to do it, but he did. He sent him. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was born to a virgin. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and then was resurrected after three days, proving that he satisfied God's requirement. And if I place my faith in him, not the facts about him, but in him, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will come in me and live in me. In fact, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in me. I can't even begin to understand that until the Holy Spirit reveals it to me and empowers me to repent and believe and then follow so that I might serve him until he comes again. That's the central premise of all scripture. That's what we ought to be focused on. That's being a good steward of the good deposit that you've had. And then in verse 16, he says, we need to be alert. He says, avoid irreverent babble. That's empty chatter. You know what he's talking about in this text, in 16 through 18? He's talking about syncretism. S-Y-N-C-R-E-T-I-S-M. It came about on the island of Crete. And what it is, it's you take a lot of different things and make them into one. It's called syncretism. And, and what we try to do in our culture is we take God and we make him fit in with ways of the world. We take God, we made him, make him fit in with pagan doctrine. Is there an example in the Bible of that happening? Yeah, a long time ago, a guy named Aaron. Some of you may be familiar with the story of Aaron in the Old Testament. What happened is Moses was going up the mountain. God told him to build an altar. And the altar he was to build wasn't to be constructed with any tools. It was just what God ordained. He put 12 stones, built an altar, and he was told to sacrifice bulls on the altar there. He goes up the mountain. Oh, and by the way, before he did that, God told him to talk to the people, tell them what he's going to do, and that they needed to obey him. And all the people are like, I'm in. I'm with him. Yes, we are God followers. We're going to follow him. We're all in. Moses goes up the mountain. He's not up there that long. And they start, where's Moses? How come he ain't here? Maybe God killed him. Their minds started to wonder. They go to Aaron, where's your brother at? Aaron says, don't know what to tell him. I don't know. He's up the mountain. And God allows this to happen. He shows Moses what happens to people who say they're all in, but they're not really all in. Because they start saying, build us gods, build us gods. So he forms two golden calves, two bulls. 
And, and these are idols. We know they're idols. You and I look at them, we're, we wouldn't say that ain't God, right? And that's what Aaron should have said. These are idols. These aren't. But you know what Aaron does in uh, Exodus 32, verse 5? He says, these are your gods. Let's offer a sacrifice to Yahweh. Let's bring them together. Let's soften the blow. That, yeah, this is bad, but you know what? Maybe if we talk about Yahweh and we bring a gift to Yahweh, it won't be as bad. And that's what we do. It's called syncretism. And it's wrong. Our problem is that we listen to charismatic and very persuasive voices from the outside. Voices from psychology, philosophy, progressive religious voices, guys like Rob Bell and Brian McLaren. And they put out these ideas that contradict biblical truth. And what we do is we don't want to say, oh, that's really bad because we're fearful. And so we try to make it fit with the Bible and try to put a positive spin on it. And we become sympathetic to them. Then we dilute them, the biblical truth that's associated with it. And then we just end up denying biblical truth. Why? So it's because it's a lot easier to do that than confront it. And so Paul says, Timothy, avoid irreverent babble. That, that word avoid there uh, is, is the Greek word to stand around, to, to basically push off, to get away from. Avoid empty chatter. What kind of empty chatter are we talking about for us? Well, Darwin. Dawkins, Hitchens, New Age, Brian McLaren, Rob Bell. These are all finite men who are trying to redefine infinite truth. Humanistic ideas that are plausible, but not truthful. They're plausible. Yeah, we evolved. Yeah, I can see that evolutionary chain working, right? It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in God. And so in verse 17, when he warns him, he says, listen, this stuff's going to spread like gangrene. Spread there, by the way, is an interesting word in the Greek. That The word spread means to give pasture with green grass. In other words, to feed it. It will be fed, Timothy, if you don't shut it down. And gangrene is like cancer. It's necrotic tissue that overtakes and kills the whole organ. Today, an example of that would be homosexual pastors in the church. Did Luther, Calvin, Edwards, Whitfield, Augustine, Aquinas, did they, did they affirm homosexual pastors in the church? Did they give us this teaching? Is that where it came from? Is there a verse in the Bible we're missing somewhere that affirms that it's okay for homosexual men to be pastors or homosexual women to be pastors in the church goes to a LGBTQ affirming church in Alabama. And she posted a thing the other day where this lady stands up and is preaching. She comes to the podium. She says, hi, my name is so-and-so. My pronouns are she and they. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible that that's, I mean, that's crazy. It's crazy. Because of a cultural shift, guys, and movement that pressures church leaders to first be sympathetic to the idea, which is unbiblical, by the way, and then dilute the biblical idea, then ultimately deny the biblical truth and marginalize those who don't agree. This is why we have churches in America that are supposed to be places where this is being taught, instead, it's an aberration of that. And instead of standing around it, like Paul instructed Timothy, and shutting it down, we give it pasture. We give it food. We give it blessing. I'll tell you another one that's going to upset some of you, but it's in the Scriptures. Women pastors are the same thing. I'm not talking about women speaking to women. 
I'm talking about women serving as senior pastors of a church, elders of a church. Women can teach women. But Paul was very clear. There is enormous cultural pressure in our culture for church leaders to cave on this issue. And it's not because of the faithful preaching of Whitfield, Luther, or Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, or, or, or any of those guys. Did they teach us that? Did they, did they ever teach and affirm Spurgeon? Did they ever have any women pastors in? Oh, it's a different time. So for 2,100 years, well, really longer than that, it's never been something that God has ordained for a purpose. And Paul made it clear in his word. Is there any scriptural affirmation for that? No, there's not. And I'm going to stand on God's word, not the culture. His word is what's going to guide me. Even if it's painful to family, even if it's painful to friends, even if it's painful and costs me, I'm not going to knowingly violate what his word says. And people do it all the time. Much of today's preaching is focused on self-image, self-help as a priority, instead of preaching the euangelion the rule and reign of Jesus. And he mentions Hymenaeus and Philetus here. He calls them out. Paul names names. That's not very loving in today's culture. You're not very compassionate, Paul. In fact, I had a guy get up and walk out of SWAT one time because I called out Joel Osteen for preaching a prosperity false gospel. And he said, I've really been ministered to by him. I said, how? He makes me feel good. I said, that's your problem. Because you're living in sin. And Joel Osteen's a guy who said he wouldn't preach on sin. He doesn't focus on sin. He wants to be positive. I don't see that in Scripture. But Paul names names. And he says in verse 18, they've swerved from the truth. You know what the truth they swear from? The resurrection. They said it had already happened. They said, we're not going to be resurrected. That's what they were saying to people. And then in verse 19, Paul uh, says, God's firm foundation. But God's firm foundation stands. And what is that foundation? Bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. You know where that comes from, that reference? That's a statement. That's a, that's a statement from the Old Testament in the book of Numbers, chapter 16. And it's dealing with Korah's rebellion against Moses. This guy named Korah rose up and said, what makes you so special, Moses? We, we have just as much access to God. People say that about People who spend their life preaching this word today. Well, I got just as much right to read that a different way than you do. Really? Really? You do? Do you study it? Most of the people I know that disagree about things on me, with the Bible with me, they don't study it. They don't know it. They, like, they pick one part and say, that's just your opinion. And that's their, that's their argument. But God says the Lord knows who he is. So this guy named Korah rises up and said, I'm just as holy as you are. We all come from the tribe of Levi. We're all good. And God says, Moses, you might want to step away from Korah right now. <laughs> he does. That's exactly what he says. And he says, the Lord knows those who are his. I'll show you who's mine. And the earth swallowed up Korah. It swallowed him up. And that's what Paul's referencing right there. And the other thing he says is, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. That word means wickedness. And 1 John chapter 3 says, if you make a practice of sinning and you continue in sin, you don't love the Lord. Those that love the Lord will not continue on in that practice. So when God surfaces something to you, I don't care if your best friend comes up to you and says, you know what? I don't think you're really in sin. Your best friend ain't answering to God for you. You are. 
you are. So, I can't continue on down a path that I sense from God that is wrong. I can't. So all this stuff up here is gone from my house. All this stuff I can't even have around me because I feel like there's too much error associated with it and I can't promote it and I don't want it around me. As we think about our own lives, here's some questions for our own reflection. One, am I faithful to shut down error when I hear it? Am I faithful to shut down error when I hear it? Second, do I make an effort to proclaim God's truth and keep the main thing the main thing? Third, am I a person of the book, God's word? Do I value what some politician says or what some celebrity says or even a family member says about a subject more than God's word? Do I allow that to influence me more than the word? And then finally, is there anything I need to repent of in light of what we've covered today? I know it's heavy. I, I know it's a, but it's, it's needed. And again, I'm so grateful for some of the gracious things some people have already said to me. And I will say this because I know there's people, well, is this wrong? Is this wrong? You know, is it wrong for me to, to watch this? Here's the problem. When you start putting words that are not scriptural into the mouth of a per- person representing Jesus, it can lead to idolatry. And that's wrong. Um, and, and, and people have, some people feel like you can't even have an image of something you think is Jesus in your house. And then other people feel like, well, you can have an image as, as long as you don't look at that image and you worship it. And some people feel like you can even have a you know, storybook Bible with pictures and there's no problem with that. I, swear, I, I don't have a problem with a storybook Bible. I don't have a problem with an action Bible, which depicts biblical stories. Because it's scripture coming out of the, the things that are associated with those pictures. What I have a problem with is when somebody represents himself as playing God and they're saying things that aren't in the Bible. That's what's wrong and idolatrous. So Amos, will you close in prayer for us? And then I'll open it up if anybody wants to ask a question or two. Do you mind?